for me, he was the most talented player ever because you know he was so magic with left lefty, and he had a magic touch and he did something I never saw after and probably in my life I will never, never <laughs> see again. <laughs> and welcome to a special edition of the No Chofters podcast on the OLB. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, like, tell your nunna. Now, this is a very special edition because you guys know that in the past we've had some world-class players. We've had Zelias that won the uh, UEFA Cup with Inter Milan. We had uh, Matt Derbyshire, Freddie, you name it. We've had a whole heap of Amonia legends, but we have right here a legend in the game. A World Cup winner, nonetheless. Thomas Bertshold, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. How are you doing? Good afternoon. I'm fine. Thank you. I'm still in Frankfurt. <laughs> I'm not in Lovely, Oregon. lovely. How's yes. the weather? How's the weather in Frankfurt? Well, the weather is not very good. We, not... we had a very strange July, you know. It was raining a lot and windy. Not really summertime. Now it looks like that now it's starting the summertime because the forecast is good, pretty well, you know. Starting tomorrow, having 25, 26, 27 degrees. So That's good. That's getting good, better. Yeah, you can go outside <laughs> and have your beer outside instead of inside, I guess. Of course. <laughs> yes, but in Frankfurt, in Frankfurt, we are drinking apple boy. Oh, you okay. Know? What is apple boy? Okay, it's no. It's something it's, like a, a, bitter, cider? a, a bitter cider. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, produced with apple. Mm, very nice. Very nice. Yeah, very nice here. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, um, I tell you what, let, let me let's talk about uh, Frankfurt because that's where you are at the moment, and you are in the academy at the time now. As you're probably probably aware, there are two separate players in the Frankfurt's academy at the moment, and they both left Omonia to join Frankfurt. What can you tell us about the academy from what you remember and what you know about it now? Look, uh, when I played in the academy, um, I think Frankfurt was on the top uh, of Germany. I, I, did, I did win the um, competition in uh, under 16 and also under 17 in Germany. So twice we won the title with the junior teams. Um, now, I guess it's more a bit that uh, clubs like Leipzig and Bayern Munich, you know, uh, Hoffenheim, Freiburg, um, they are maybe a bit forward, you know, they did invest a lot in the, in the past 10 years development, infrastructure, uh, coaches, and, and all that stuff, you know. So, um, and, and the, the, the worst thing is for Frankfurt that they lost the second team. As you know, in Germany, most of the first and second division teams, they, they run um, a second team playing in the, in the third or fourth league in Germany because you can only have uh, one, one professional team in the first or second league but uh, the maximum for the second team is the third league. And, but the third league is very competitive. So Frankfurt does, does not have um, a second team. And that's, uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a mess for them because without playing, you know, um, when you're leaving the junior teams, um, you can do alone. Um, but I think it's a disadvantage. Was that the same when you were playing? No, 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 no. no. When I did play, we had uh, a second team in the third division. In third division, right. In the third division, but playing on on top level. Right. So always staying second, third place, you know, in the, um, in the, uh, yeah, in the table. What do you make of the current situation in Germany anyway? Because we've seen a lot of British players and American players going to play in the, the Bundesliga. We've, we've seen Bellingham, we've seen Jadon Sancho. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
is that affecting the, the the national team? Because it wasn't a great European Championship. Obviously, Yogi Love. <laughs> it called, wasn't called... great. You're very gentle. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to be nice here. You know, I'm trying to be nice. You yes, know, it, was, um... it, it was a disaster. Let's say it was really a disaster. No, so... but uh, but you're right. Uh, especially Dortmund is um, is scouting very well in the uh, UK, and they got uh, with yeah. I mean, Sancho was now sold to. Um, to Man United, and he did great in in Dortmund, and also Bergkamp supposed to have really a big potential, you know, to be a great player for the future. Um, yeah, I don't know why the junior teams are not developing uh, German players to be ready um, to play in the first division. I I think you know when you're you know fishing your career in the junior teams, uh, having 17, 18, 19 years. The um, let's say the skip from junior to Bundesliga, it's tough. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But but the thing is, with German football in terms of the the national team, it goes through cycles, doesn't it? Where you have a great group of players that are successful, and then when once that age group goes, it's pretty poor. I'll give you an example: like 1974, they won the World Cup. 78. Don't know what happened there. 82 did pretty well. 84 Euros wasn't great. But then 86, the World Cup in Mexico, which you were there, um, got to the final. Okay, you lost in the final, but it was a very, very good team. And don't forget, there were a lot of injuries as well. And I think there was an issue with uh, Schuster, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, um, Mr. Beckenbauer came in. So it's almost as if the, the odds were stacked against Germany for that tournament. Uh, I mean, you're always depending on the ages and the generations, you know. For every every uh, big football uh, nation, uh, I mean, you, you need uh, potential players being able to play on a world class level, because the, the the head coach is not a magic person, you know, to do something special wonders. There are no wonders in football. It's all about options and uh, and having quality on the pitch. So uh, I, I believe uh, coming back to '86 when I did play my first World Cup. Um, we were a bit of a surprising team, you know, because normally the, the people did not um, give give a lot of credential to the 86 national team. But at least we did well, you know, because we did show character and, uh, and team spirit and, and we reached the final. And it was a pretty good final against Argentina, losing uh, at the end 3-2. But um, we, we performed as team well. And now you could see also in the in the Euro in 2021, uh, Italy won not maybe because they, they they had the best single players, but uh, the team performance was very well. The spirit was very well, you know. The mentality was great, and they were tactically well prepared. So it's always a mix, you know. If you want if you want to win a, a big tournament like Euro or World Cup, you you need of course quality players, but you need as well also uh, team spirit and. Uh, team very well prepared tactically uh, absolutely so can you tell me what the mood of the the national team was going into that tournament in in 86 as i said um beckenbauer got the job you know it was a world, yeah. you know world-class footballer was was he great as uh, a coach as a mentor i mean if if you are coaching the, the 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 national team you know the senior team uh i guess the most important is the acceptance of the players 
and, and being also a world-class player, it was easier for Franz Beckenbauer to get that kind of acceptance, you know, because at least you have not to, to teach somebody or to, to do some lessons with that kind of players, at least is what is important. I mean, you have to, you have to create a group and you have to, to, have, to have some uh, tactical options on the pitch. That's it. Not so complicated, you know, with a, with a regular team, you know, playing every week once or twice is more complicated. But for a tournament, I mean, you have to, you have to be focused on the tournament. We, we did not really great against Uruguay, first match, uh, a draw, 1-1. But we improved uh, during the tournament and, and we physically, we were very well prepared. So you get to the final and you're playing Argentina with Maradona, who had the fantastic tournament. Um, yeah. he, he destroyed England and, and they're still crying about it now. Oops. Um, <laughs> so um, you're, you're, in, you're in the final. You're 2-0 down. You scored yeah. twice in the last 15, 20 minutes. And you're thinking, maybe we might have extra time. And then they got the other end and, and score the winner. How was that for you guys? Obviously, it must have been soul-destroying. Because the World Cup final. My look, it's, it was not so destroying. I mean, as you said, 2-0 for Argentina. But uh, we, ke- we came back, you know. Um, we, we scored two goals. And, and maybe, maybe we, we had in our mind seven minutes to go. And the momentum was on our side. And on all, the, all the guys were very, maybe ex- too overexcited. Because as you said... Normally, with that kind of experience we, we had in the team, you know, we have to say, okay, listen, guys, now it's it's two two, seven minutes to go. Let's go to the overtime because mentally and physically, after the second goal, Argentina was more or less dead. But then Magic Magic Diego did one great action in the whole match, and he he did that magic pass to Buruchaga. And we played a bit offside because normally we didn't never played offside, you know. And they scored the third goal, and the and the match was gone then, more or less. Was there a game plan to stop Maradona? As I said before, he, that was the tournament no, he, of, of his course, life. There huh? was a game. There was a game plan. Um, kick him. Was it Lothar, kick him? No, no. Lothar, <laughs> Lothar Mateos played against Maradona, and uh, I don't know if you remember the, the whole match. But maybe if you have the opportunity to watch the 90 minutes, Diego had just one action, that magic touch to Boruchaga. In the whole match, he was neutralized by, uh, by Lothar Mateus, more or less. Yeah, and, um, you know, Lothar Mateus, he and Klaus Argenthaler were my two favorite players at, in, in that era. Even now, when people talk to me about central midfielders, you can talk about your Javis, your Iniestas, your Zidans, et cetera, et cetera. But you've got players that are very underrated, even though they achieved so many great things. And Lothar Mateus was, he was up there. I've still got this. Um, I'm going to show you one day. When I go, when I go to my mum's house, I'm going to find the, the figurine <laughs> I've got and I'm going to send you a picture. It's a little figurine. It's about this big. And it's Lothar Mateus volleying the ball. I got it when I was a kid, but I've still got it. Still got the West Germany shirt with the stripes. But talk to me about Klaus Argenthaler, by the way, because my cousin it was a strong admirer of him, as am I. The guy had a thunderbolt of a shot, didn't he? 35, 40 yards, yeah. he was smashing, yeah. Unbelievable, as you said, unbelievable shot and also unbelievable overview of the pitch, you know. He was a typical libero, 
in those days we played with libero it's now now nobody's playing anymore with libero like a sweeper isn't it kind of yeah sweeper yeah. something like this yeah sweeper as you said and uh, yeah he had a great view of the of the pitch because i mean football is starting always in the defense when you get the ball you know we have to open the match you have to able to to pass um, let's say 30 45 meters and he was able to do that and he was a, also a great header and he was not maybe such 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 fast and quick you know but uh, one against one, he was also a, a very tough uh, defender. So let's say complete sweeper, more or less. Mm, absolutely. And you know what? You, um, you, you've won a World Cup, as we're going to uh, talk about in just a moment. But between, say, 86 to 91, you were in one of the most incredible eras of football. And I was just thinking about it earlier. And I was, I was talking to mum on the phone. I was like, my goodness, this, this guy has played not only just against Maradona, He's played in Serie A when it was at the height, at the peak, yes. when you had the three Dutchmen at Milan. You had the three Germans at Inter. You were at AS Roma with, with uh, Rudy Furla. Yeah. You, you know, uh, let's not talk about Napoli yeah. with, with Maradona. Yeah. I mean, for crying yeah. out loud, you went, you went to Roma. Now, this is a club that last won the Scudetto in, what, 83? So was there a pressure for you guys to win that Scudetto again, given that you had so much... So much right. I mean, yeah, you you as well with the Rui Barros. Uh, I think I think Rome is the worst place for for any football player because it's the capital of the country. You know, two clubs, Lazio and us, Roma, and most pressure you can imagine. So uh, playing in Rome was fantastic because, as you said, Serie A was the best league in the world. Uh, I mean, the the big clubs they won the international competition. The biggest stars did play in Italy. It was a fantastic time. Now, now uh, after 30 years, the Premier League and the Spanish League, they, they passed the CIR. But I'm, I'm very positive because getting now international investors, I believe uh, that CIA will, uh, will come back maybe to, to, yeah, to reach the peak again. Well, I, I'd hope so because it's the television money that, makes the league stronger yeah. isn't it and the Premier League is obviously on a di different stratosphere yeah. with Messi going to Paris Saint-Germain obviously there's going to be more money into that league whereas you see the likes of the Bundesliga and, and Serie A falling back a little bit Internazionale are losing a lot of players Lukaku's going Lautaro's probably going to go Conte yeah. left okay Juve have got um, Allegri back in so Cristiano is going to be there etc so it's going to be very difficult to, to get back there but your old club uh, Roma have got in, Mourinho so in, in Serie A a lot of movements on the bench you know mm. a lot of a lot of uh, managers are coming in and a lot of clubs they change the manager but the transfer market is very quiet yeah because the money is in England you know in the UK mm. the, the clubs are investing and um, and maybe we we after after let's say Lukaku and the big transfers made in the uh, in UK maybe we get some reactions in uh, in uh, Italy also in, in Germany because in Germany now in that in that uh, period because on Friday this the Bundesliga starting we have more business like loan you know loan with an option to buy but not really a, a transfer you know Absolutely. Well, I want to talk about one specific season in Serie A, the one that Napoli won. I think you guys finished 10th <laughs> in the table, if I'm not mistaken, something along those lines. I've seen a lot of highlights. I remember, again, I went to Cyprus and 
down by the tourist area, you could buy VHS videos, you know, for like two, three pounds at the time. And I bought one. It was all the Italian goals. So you had like um, Ramon Diaz and Careca and all these other players. But Maradona was the guy that was scoring goals left, right and yeah. centre. You played against him at international level. You played against him at club level. You've probably been asked this question a million and one times, but as a footballer, was he the best you've ever played against? I think for me, that's my personal opinion, he was the best ever. Ever? Ever, ever mm. on that planet, you know. And uh, playing for Napoli, uh, you mentioned Careca. You, uh, they had really great team, Carnavale. Um, and, and with Maradona, it was a, a magic triangle, you know. But also the defense was great. They had a, they had a fantastic team. And playing in Sao Paulo, 80,000 people, ma the magic crowd there, you know. <laughs> you can imagine Derby, Roma, Napoli, <laughs> what's, going, what's going on in, um, in, in those days. It was, uh, yes, unforgettable experience. Mm. And but he was, he was, for me, he was the most talented player ever because, you know, he was so magic with left, lefty and he had a magic touch and he did something I never saw after and probably in my life I will never, never <laughs> see again. <laughs> did, did, did you see the documentary about his life? I did. I did see the documentary and yeah, about his life. And uh, we, we met in, in Russia um, for, the, for the World Cup because FIFA did create the Legends Club. So we met and I was saying to my wife, oh, he looks not very, very healthy uh, two year, three years ago. And, and now, uh, yeah, happened, what happened is uh, a tragedy. Yeah. Uh, my friend is uh, Fede Ardiles, Ozzy's son. And yeah. um, you know, he and I spoke regularly about Diego even before he died. And when he passed, I, I, I didn't know what to say to him because he knew him. You know, it's very, very difficult, very difficult to talk about. But um, yeah. w when you were playing at Roma, sorry to talk about Diego again, but when you were playing at Roma, did you hear about the stories relating to Maradona off the field? Was it, was it common uh, knowledge? Look, there are always stories around, you know, especially in Italy with all that paparazzi stuff and left and right and up and down. But... Who cares? You know, it's part of the job. So, Diego was magic on the pitch. It doesn't matter if he was maybe not training or maybe also flying from Buenos Aires <laughs> to Napoli the day before the match. But he was a great performer. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that is the most important thing. You know, if, if you do perform well, the, the rest is not so, not so important. This is it. Now, I'm going to mention uh, some rivals here, the three Dutchmen at Milan. <laughs> yes. Rijkaard, Van Basten and, and Hullet. You guys had, were back and forth in 88. I remember the European Championships. Yeah. Obviously in the Scudetto and then Italia 90. <laughs> now, that, that was the first World Cup I could remember as if it was yesterday. I remember the opening game when, when Cameroon beat Argentina. Yeah. Uh, can he just shoo wow. coming off because he was challenged everything in that tournament? And but, but Germany were my team that I supported in that tournament. I told you before, my cousin bought me the shirt, so I, I was supporting them. And, um, you know, you, you steamrolled against Yugoslavia. You steamrolled uh, UAE. Okay, you drew against uh, Colombia. There was a few tricky games, but then came uh, England. Uh, and before, before came Holland, Dutch. Yeah, Dutch, yeah Dutch. which, Dutch. yep. Yep, exactly. That's what I wanted to touch yep. on first before the England game. And, and that game for me, there was Bremer's goal with right foot, the curler. It was at the San Siro as well, which is the stadium that he played for uh, Inter. 
Um, and then there was the incident between Rudy Vola and Frank <laughs> <Right> Braghardt. <laughs> now, I, I, I'll never forget this because I was watching at home. I was nine years old. Then my mum was ironing. And she turned, she looked, she goes, did he just spear him? I was like, wow, what's going on here? I don't know. So you were on the pitch. What do you remember about that specific incident? Because all I remember is seeing Rudy Vola doing this. What the <laughs> yeah, I, I think Frank Reichardt, who is a very gentle person, you know, uh, had a bad moment. He did spell, you know, uh, the Rudy fellow in his neck. And uh, this why is would where... he do that? Was there a reason? I don't, they... know. I don't know. Maybe he lost his mind. I don't know. The pressure, whatever. It's, it's difficult to explain why a, a very experienced player like Frank Reichardt mm. is, is having that kind of behavior. But uh, I mean, Germany, Netherlands is always something spe special. It's yeah. like a der it's like a derby, you know. We are neighbors, and uh, it's always, uh, yeah. It's how can I explain this? When I remember when we played the qualification in um, in Netherlands in Rotterdam, we got uh, a police call at, at one uh, one in the night, you know, one a.m. in the morning, to leave immediately uh, the hotel because some people, I don't know, try to, <laughs> to, uh, break in. to break in the hotel, you know, and all that shit, you know. Well, Rotterdam's oh. probably the worst place to have a game because their fans are different level. I know oh, Amsterdam yes. and Eindhoven are bad, but Rotterdam are the, well, in yeah, terms but, of... But, but the national team is always plays in Rotterdam, you know. Yeah. And yeah. You, can, you can imagine qualification match, Netherlands, Germany in Rotterdam uh, with the heat on the pitch, outside of the pitch with all these dramas and and then in the, in the World Cup, you know, meeting in Milano, it was the only match for Germany because we played the, the first round, we played uh, Netherlands and we played uh, also Czechoslovakia in, in, uh, in Milano. Yep. It was the only match in, in San Siro where we had equal fans. Yeah, you know? that's right. Yeah, 50-50. So it was very, it was, the, the atmosphere was like in a derby, you mm. know. Yeah. So and, and then and then um, yeah, shooting two goals, leading to to null, and then uh, they, they shot the penalty uh, to one. Yeah, yeah Koeman and he also Koeman, you know, he, he did some something with a shirt. I remember, you know, uh, versus uh, the German fans and Reichardt. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was so much on the pitch, outside of the pitch, your dramas and and uh, yeah, rivalry between the the two nations mm -hmm. but you know but at the end i mean we we beat we did beat the uh european champion and we, we did beat the former world champion in the final so yes. i mean i think at least if you beat the the, the two biggest teams winning the two the two uh, most important uh, tournaments before that world cup we deserve to uh, Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. You know that that game against the Dutch for me that was when I said they're definitely going to win this tournament because, the, as you said, the Dutch were the European champions, and then the, the England game in the semi-finals. Obviously, we know what happened. There was the the foul on you by Gascoigne, the yellow card. You've spoken about this millions of times. So I'm not going to ask you about <laughs> it, but no. um, you know, it's it's like yeah, they still talk about it to this day. And and do you know what? What I want to ask you. This might be a bit of a touchy subject, but for me, it's it's really strange that the English press they're very strange anyway but the the mentality when it comes to games against germany because they always reference the war 
It's always about the war. They never talk about the the game itself before it. It's always mm. about we did this and we won the war. Da, 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 da. And I'm sitting there thinking, do the Germans actually give a shit about what the, the British press write? I mean, it must must give you make you more motivated to win the game when you see all these headlines? Or is it just common that you're expecting? Um, I mean, as a player, you don't care about the, mm. the press, you know, the headlines, uh, what the people are thinking, uh, what the press is uh, writing. Uh, nobody cares. I mean, at least you are focused on the, on, the, on the match. You go to the pitch and that's it. You know, you do your job and uh, you, you want to win the, the game to, mm. to reach the final. That's, that's all about, you know. Yeah. And you so, want on penalties? And you want on yeah, penalties? We, we, is, yeah, yeah, it's always a bit tricky, you know, playing after two hours uh, overtime, uh, shooting penalties. But it's it's part of the game, you know. Mm. You need you need uh, kind of uh, cleverness and coolness, and uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe Germany had that um, mentality, you know, to uh, to be as also strong, uh, yeah, in penalty shooting, which is part yeah. of 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 the tournament, penalty shooting. Oh, absolutely. I remember when Stuart Pearce missed it and then um, he got the opportunity at Euro 96, like six years later, as a penalty shootout against Spain and yeah. he scored and everyone was saying, oh, he's exercised the demons of Italian 90. I'm sitting thinking, no, he hasn't because he didn't get to the World Cup final. He didn't win it. So Yeah, and it's, it's difficult to exercise it because in, in the, if you exercise it, you know, without pressure, without having 120 minutes in your legs, it's easy. Mm. In, the tra- in the training session, it's easy to shoot a penalty. But, you know, with the pressure and the and all that stuff, the uh, you are tired after two hours, and, and then you have to wait. You know, and uh, it's not so easy. You cannot train this um, this kind of situations. So, um, did anyone find the ball when Chris Waddle hit the ball over the bar? <laughs> I, I just I need know. to know if anyone found it. You know? I, I don't know. Maybe we have to do something like a research. You know, we left the stadium. I'm pretty sure I left the stadium. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Poor Chris. But yeah, he yeah. had a good career after that. I can't complain. Um, so you get to the final. It's uh, West Germany against Argentina, Volume yeah. Two. Four years on, a better Germany team. You know, you had the more yeah. experienced players, and I yeah, think yeah. You, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that the likes of Bremer, Mateus, yourself, Rudi Vela, learning from 1986. Being four years older, having that more experience, yeah. pushed you over the line. Would that be fair to say? Yes, you are right. Uh, we had a lot of experience, you know, because as you said, if you guys played '86 in, in Argentina, and uh, yeah, the, maybe the forecast was a bit Italy Germany for the World Cup, but the Italian they lost in Napoli against uh, the Argentinian team. But anyway, I mean, a final is a final. And um, it was not very exciting because Argentina did play without uh, Kanija, who was the best striker maybe uh, in, in 1999. So they were always defending, defending, defending. Maybe to have the strategy to go overtime and to maybe look forward uh, yeah, to reach the, the penalty shooting. It's, it's a bit rumoring now. Can you hear it? Yeah, a little bit. So you've got yeah. uh, someone outside on their motorbike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it happens in London quite a bit. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's fine. yeah. <laughs> so, so it was not a great final, but uh, I mean, it was a penalty. We can discuss about this penalty, but at the end, we deserved because uh, we were the act- more active team, mm. uh, and our goalkeeper, I think Bodo Ilgen, did not did not have uh, at least one one action, one single action yeah. to do something. Well, the thing is, I remember the semi-final against Italy. They had Goyka Cherengo, didn't they? Because uh, um, 
Is it Pompey though in goal for the first one, wasn't he? The first game against uh, Cameroon, it was Pompey though. And then they replaced him with Goy Kachea. Yes. And he saved some penalties in the semi-final. Yes. So when Germany got the penalty, a lot of people, the commentators <laughs> were saying, oh, it's Andy Bremer. This goalkeeper saved a lot of penalties. And Bremer took it with his right foot and he's left-footed. Was he right foot? It was a right foot, wasn't it? That's a good question. Was he left foot or right foot? I thought, was he with his left foot or was he right foot? No, actually he's left foot. Yeah, but did he hit it with his right foot? Or was it the left foot? I can't remember. Yeah, he, he, he did. He did. I, I think Andy Bremer is the only player in the world where yeah. it's difficult, difficult to understand if he is natural left or right. Yeah. 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 yeah but Coco Chair was a great goalkeeper. I mean, Absolutely. especially for penalty shootings, he was great. And uh, but Andy Bremer, I mean, Andy Bremer was for me the coolest, the coolest penalty shooter I ever saw in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, again, it goes back to what I said about underrated footballers. These days, people talking about Roberto Carlos, they talk about Ashley Cole, they talk about David Alaba, but Andreas Bremer was yeah. just unbelievable. Levels. Yes, levels. Yeah, for me, the best uh, left left defender in Germany we ever had in the last, I don't know, 40, 50 years, you know? Yeah, you're right. Unbelievable. You know, I think the closest fullback Germany-wise is probably Philipp Lahm, if you want to talk about quality. Yeah. Um, but Bremer was just... But, but, but Andy Bremer was more technically better than, uh, than Philipp Lahm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. my personal opinion. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, I, I want to talk about Lothar Matthias now. <laughs> because again, I remember him at Internazionale when he won the league. Um, he was is a juggernaut. He was a juggernaut. He was even if, if he played now, he'd he'd be a 50, 60, 70 million euro player. 100 yeah, percent More. More. Yeah. More. Uh, much no, starting more. price. More. Starting price 70 much million. Much more. <laughs> <laughs> if Chelsea if Chelsea is paying 120 for Lukaku, I mean yes, yes. Matthias yes, worth 150 million, maybe. Yeah, he Free was kicks, a com passing. complete, comp dynamic, uh, mm. so fast and great, great uh, right foot. You know, he was a complete midfield player, really great uh, midfield player. So dynamic, unbelievable. And and to think he came so close to winning the the Champions League if it wasn't for Manchester United. And I think a couple of years yeah. later he'd have left. And I think Bayern won the Champions League in in um, in Milan, wasn't it? They beat Valencia in the final. I don't yeah. think he was playing. No, I think he, he did not. No. He wasn't on the pitch? No, he, he was not on the pitch. No, I, th I think, no, he wasn't, no. no. But okay, so, okay. Well, I can't not talk about Jürgen Klinsmann then. Another player who just scored goals everywhere. Stuttgart, uh, Monaco, Inter, Tottenham, twice at Tottenham. Mm -hmm. they, they, they talk about his diving and his cheating, but for me, the, the, he, he had to do it. He had to because he was being kicked left, right and centre. They, they kicked him all over the place. I mean, that kind, that, that nickname "diver" is coming from UK. I don't know. This is a press yeah. press story. Yeah, and, uh, who yeah. invented that 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 name? That is, is a diver or was a mm. diver? I mean, if if, if you get a, a tackling, you can also do a diving. It's, you know, as a striker, you can do that. Of course. Of course. Today, everybody is doing diving. Yeah. When I when I do watch, uh, TV, it's worse now. It's worse now. It's much worse now. Much worse. Yeah, you're right. Much worse now. <laughs> oh, everybody's doing diving. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But he was he was a fantastic footballer, and, yeah. and you know what? Again, 
He would score goals, and head out, volley. This is also, this is also a problem we have now in our national team. We don't have strikers anymore. We don't. I don't have think anyone has, to be honest. Strikers. I don't strikers. think anyone has. If you look at the best strikers in the world, you could probably think of five. You don't have that many anymore. Yeah, not that many. You're right. Yeah, but this for a big football nation like Germany, it's a, it's a disaster. You know, without striker, you cannot win a, a tournament. It's not possible. Yeah, I guess there was a lot of pressure on Timo Werner to produce. Um, yeah, but, he, but he is not a. You need we need a, a real number nine. You know, mm-hmm. uh, somebody who's staying. Uh, you know, in the uh, in the area. The goal area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We well, look at Germany over the years, as you mentioned. Rudi Völler's one. Uh, you've got Klinsmann. Uh, Karl Heinz, Karl Heinz Riedle. Karl- we got, we got. You know, yes. we got a lot of great pe- people, really. Bierhoff, Bierhoff in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now nobody. Yeah. Now we have a lot of small players like Timo Werner. You know, small, quick, but uh, we don't have somebody like uh, Kane, for example. Mm, we don't have. Yeah. Him. I think Mario Gomez was probably the last one, wasn't he? I'd say Mario yeah. Gomez. Yeah. But yeah, but last. right. So come on, let's talk about that World Cup. Then you've you're you're world champion. You're a world champion. What are the celebrations like? What was the Kaiser like? What was he saying to you after you won that game, especially after losing the final in '86? What was that like? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, when it's over, it's over. You know, you, to realize that you you won the the World Cup, uh, it takes a bit of time. I mean, we, we got the cup, you know, we, we went back to the hotel. We had a great party until in the morning. Then we, we flew back to, to Frankfurt, uh, next celebration. And you're always in that kind of, you know, mood, celebration, celebration, celebration. And your mind is gone more because you're tired. But I, I think uh, you're realizing that you are a World Cup winner. Maybe when you restart doing your job in your club. After short holidays, after short holidays, you have to restart, you know, to, to re-prepare and to get fit uh, mentally and physically. And this is a big goal because, you know, after such a long time, four weeks tournament, two to three weeks preparation, it's a long time, you know, for a player to, to relax after the tournament, to get energy back. But uh, in 91, for example, we, we've been uh, in the uh, UEFA Cup final. Uh, with us against, Roma, Inter. Against, yep. against Inter, we won the Italian Cup with Roma, and you scored so, in the final. So, so no, nobody was so tired, you know. But um, yeah, it's fantastic. The, the worst thing is then when you are playing the next World Cup, like I did in in America, when you Oof. are when you are the defender, and we did very mm. bad, you know, in, in the states, and you well, have yeah, we have all that pressure on your shoulder. But do you think that's because obviously Germany became unified? So you had East and West. So you guys didn't really have, you didn't really know each other from an international level, did you? Yeah, but, but, but on the international level, I mean, if you go back to the to '94 in in the states, uh, on the on the pitch, we who was playing from East Germany, Matthias Sommer. Yeah, true. He, he was the true. only one. You know, there was not a big move that a lot of East former East German players did play uh, as a starter. Mm. Did you play at Euro '92 as well? Were you at Euro '92? Oh, I was. I was banned. You're banned. Red card against Wales. Do you, right. you don't remember? No, no, I don't remember that. Yeah, last qualification match uh, in Wales in Cardiff. Red card, five matches banned. Five. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I didn't remember that for some reason. No, no. Yeah. I bet you're glad you missed that one. You didn't want to lose another final, did you? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I mean, let, let's be fair. That that German squad of uh, 90, you go from 86 all the way to 92. It, it was just full of incredible footballers. And, yeah. you know, you, you were talking about winning the this Italian Cup with uh, Roma. When you've won the World Cup, this is what we always wanted to ask a World Cup winner. When you've won the World Cup, what is there left to win? Do you know I mean, you've won the biggest prize in international football. Do you lose a little bit of fire? Do you lose that motivation no, no, a no, little no, no. bit? No? Or does it make no. you hungrier? No. Look, you have, to, you have to understand one thing. Playing in the national team, you know, has nothing to do with playing in your home team. So coming back, you know, after a short vacation, you know, we had also maybe more responsibility because the expectation was, was bigger than before because the people were saying, oh, look, Asroma, they, they got two World Cup winners on the pitch. So the, the pressure was increasing and not decreasing, you know, the expectation. You've got like a target was, on your back. Not a target, but the expectation was growing mm. because the people were saying, oh, they have two World Cup winners on the pitch, you know, they have to do well and all that, that stuff. Yeah. So for, for, for us, you know, on that level, it's, they are not counting the good matches. They are counting the bad matches. Mm. I, guess, I guess that means that all the achievements that Messi has got under his belt just makes him even more of a phenomenal footballer because he's continued being successful despite, you know, having that, that expectation. It's yeah. almost as if he's, he's leveled up every time. Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean you have your own expectation as a player and then you have your team expectation and uh, I mean you have you have a contract with your club and you have to do your job mm. so you, you cannot lay back and say oh listen guys now I'm uh, I'm on a good mood I'm, I'm a World Cup winner and I'm doing now a bit slowly it's not working like that yeah yeah so what would and, you say and in, in Germany for example you know the expectation of the let's say of the German football fans here in our country mm. about the national team it's always, okay, we expect that you reach the semi-final. That's the minimum expe of expectation. That's fair enough. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. expect anything else. Yeah. I wouldn't expect anything else, you know? But, you know, you went into the tournament, uh, this European Championship. So I think the last time Germany won a tournament was, what, 2014? Was it World Cup? 2014? Yeah. So that's still a long time for Germany, even though it was only, what, they had the, the 20... You had 2014, you had 2016 Euros, then you had the 2018 World Cup, and then obviously, so it's like three tournaments. Yeah. And that's three tournaments too many for Germany, you know? But it's almost as if it's going to be a massive restructure now, isn't it? Because it's a big job for, for Hansi Flick, isn't it? I think, first of all, we have to consider that a lot of nations like England, for example, they did well in the, in the junior teams, and they, they pass us like a, you know, like a train, but a fast train, not a slow train. So it will take some years for me, maybe, maybe 10 years or more uh, to come back on, on that level. That's my personal opinion. Because well, we, need, we, need, we, need, we need, first of all, we have always, we, ha we had always in the past good goalkeepers, you know. If, if Neuer is not playing anymore, we don't have a lack of goalkeepers in the, in the German national team. What but, about Ter Stegen know, though? Ter Stegen? Ter is a great player, great goalkeeper for me. Great. So we don't, we, don't have, we don't have any problems to replace uh, uh, Neuer, you know, if he says maybe one day, okay, it's, now it's over because I'm too old. But we don't have any more world-class central defender. We don't have world-class 
fullbacks. We don't have world-class strikers. So with, without having, you know, that, that crucial positions in the center, on the side, and in front, uh, it's difficult to perform on a, on a world-class level. And okay. it will take time. Maybe we now our, our federation or our, our national team, maybe we have now to, to, to uh, decrease the expectation saying, okay, we need time now to develop something, get a new head, head coach, Hansi Flick, and he needs also time. We, we cannot expect something special from him because the, we know the players. There will be no big surprise, you know. When the um, the qualification for the World Cup is starting in uh, in September, I believe. Yeah. So um, we need time. We have to yeah we have to uh, support Hansi Flick, and uh, and then let's see what's mm. going on. Absolutely. Well, look, one more question before I let you leave because I appreciate your time and thank you for joining us on the podcast. I know you had a spell at uh, Bayern, München, yeah. uh, and I think it was under Jupp Heynckes, if I'm not mistaken, and that was a bit of a disastrous. Campaign. I think there was three managers or three head coaches during that season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think was that around about the FC Hollywood time when yeah. Trapattoni came in afterwards. Is it, that was, right? it was a bit like that. That uh, yeah, in one one season, three managers. Uh, yeah, looks like Hollywood time. It was yeah. like Hollywood time. Before. Exactly. But biggest club in Germany. But, but, but now Bayern is the biggest club in Germany, and and. Um, the uh, let's say the, uh, the league it's a bit uh, boring because I don't know eight or nine times in a row now they won the yeah. the national league and there is no real competitor you know that's not good for the league that's not good for the national team so um, yeah we have a lot of discussion about salary caps and uh, getting investors in uh, in the league but uh, we have um, let's say people saying okay we are more traditional. We don't like to see any investors here yeah. in Germany, but without money, what do you expect? You know, without money, it's not possible because Bayern Munich it's too far away financially mm. from uh, from Leipzig, from Dortmund, and also from uh, who else? You know, well, you got uh, well, even Hertha Berlin or these teams. Yeah, no. Werder no. Bremen. Uh, no. Werder Bremen is second league now. Well, Redigate, there you go. Relegated. There you yeah, go. No, so. They're a huge club. So München Gladbach. Yeah. Bayern uh, is too far away. That's yeah. the problem. Too far yeah. away. Yeah. Do, but you know what? I think um, you're right. It, it will take some uh, a big investor. But the way that things are working right now with the likes of, you mentioned Dortmund, who are selling players, they can bring in the money. But the, the problem is, you can sell Holland, you can sell uh, Sancho, but then it's like you're starting again, finding another youngster, develop yeah, yeah. them, huh. and then they get sold. So then you sign another. It's 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 going to happen time and time again. But I mean, I think- if 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 Dortmund, for example, you know, wants to be a real competitor, they should maybe change their strategy to keep people like Sancho, to keep people like Holland, to keep the the, the players with with huge potential. You know, and maybe sometimes to sell one. Or maybe two, but they're always selling uh, the best pieces. So um, true. But Bayern don't tend to spend massively these days, do they? No, I can't remember the last time not, they made. The... They did not. They did not. They did. the The biggest investment uh, was made on, uh, yeah, on the central defender on. Uber Macano. Uber Macano. Yeah. Yeah, and they they announced that they will not do any uh, investments this season anymore. There you go. So I guess that yeah. gives other clubs hope. 
But, you know, if you stop Lewandowski from scoring, then you might have a chance. Yeah, we will see. On Friday, the Bundesliga is starting a new season. Maybe there are some surprises, but I don't believe that the Bayern, Bayern will not win. Uh, wow, even, even with a new manager. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas, thank you so much yeah. for your time. I really appreciate right. it. Um, before I let you go, is there anything that you'd like to promote? Any social media, any websites, anything like no, that? No, no. I, I hope in Germany, you know, that, uh, yeah, we, we, get, uh, we get back to see uh, full capacity in the stadium. You know, because we have 10%. We need fans. We need fans. Because football without fans is very sad. Absolutely. Well, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, that was Thomas Berthold, World Cup winner on No Trusters podcast. That's it for another episode. We'll be back very, very soon. As I said, hit that like button, subscribe, tell your nunas until next time. I'm Michelle Lacamo and I'll see you guys. Bye.